You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, it's good to be together. It's cold and rainy outside, but it's nice inside, so we're glad to, to be with you. Uh, hey, just a, a couple quick announcements. As you came in this morning, hopefully uh, somebody shook your hand and uh, also gave you a program. Inside that program is information about things that are going on here at Redemption Church. And, and the reason we give you that is because we're not here to entertain people. Uh, we're here to engage people with the gospel and the love of Jesus. And so uh, everything in that program is really an invitation, something you're invited to uh, that we think would help you connect with other people, make some friends, because uh, we believe life is a journey and no one should walk that journey alone. Uh, opportunities to grow in your walk with Jesus. So uh, like coming up in October, the last Friday of the month, we have a prayer night uh, right here in this room, an opportunity to get together with other people and just seek after uh, the heart of God. And so we're really excited about that. Uh, that's my, my friend, Pastor John, who uh, shot that video for us. Uh, if you're new or visiting, I know you're like checking out Redemption Church and like right off the bat, uh, we're talking about a, a campaign and you're like, ooh, bad Sunday to visit. But here's the deal. We don't want anything from you, okay? That, that's not our heart or our intention. But uh, for those of us that call Redemption Church home, uh, we're really kind of in this season where we're seeking after the heart of God, and we, we want to do some things to, to strengthen our, our ministries. Uh, we want to reach more people uh, with the gospel. And so like this Thursday, uh, every mailbox in Boone County will have an invitation uh, from Redemption Church for them to come to church next Sunday, October 14th, is we start a brand new series, and we want to do more things like that. We, we don't think the church should be like the best kept secret in town. We want everybody to know uh, that God loves them, that God promises them a comeback story in Jesus, and there's a group of people who would welcome them and love them and be willing to walk alongside them on their spiritual journey, and so we want to do more of that. Uh, that also means Thursday uh, afternoon and Friday and Saturday would be great opportunities for you to invite people to come to church with you next week as we start a whole new series called Slaying Giants. And, and the whole theme of that is it's time to be fearless again. Uh, every single one of us faces giants like fear, anxiety, rejection, depression, and yet we uh, know that we have victory in Jesus. And so how can we begin to experience that victory and allow Jesus to slay our giants. It's going to be awesome, and I hope to see you uh, next week. So that's one of our initiatives under That We May, is we want to reach more people uh, with the gospel. And we, we think there's a sweet combination of big invitations uh, along with a personal people inviting people, hey, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your friends, hey, come and see Jesus. Come with me. And so we'd love to partner with that. But the second thing we want to do is strengthen some of our ministries. Uh, we have a, a family uh, who's been coming to Redemption Church, who uh, the Fast family, Jay and Stephanie, they're not here today. Uh, but they have years of experience in youth ministry, years of experience as international missionaries. Uh, Jay currently serves as a disciple maker with Sun Life Ministries. And so we've asked them if they would consider joining our team and, and helping give some leadership in things like children's ministry, youth ministry, and, and just a broader discipleship ministry. And so we want to raise some money for that. And, and then there's two things we, we want to tag on to that is we want to plant more churches and we want to support uh, Tim Beavis, uh, a friend of Redemption Church, who's a missionary that goes all over the world to places like China and Egypt and, and Miramar and the Philippines, places where Christians have virtually no way to get theological training 
or discipleship, and he goes to these places, really risks his life, to invest in local Christians and local pastors so that they can be there on the ground making disciples, reaching more people for Jesus. Uh, I probably can't hop on a plane to go to the Philippines tomorrow, but Tim can. And so we want to support him and the ministry he's doing. And so uh, we just ask you to pray about that, to think about that. Uh, I know in our family, we're trying to create margin in our budget. So this week we canceled a couple program things we used, a couple services that we used, and we said, hey, we'd rather put that money towards the That We Made campaign. And we're asking you to pray about that and think about that over the next couple months. Between now and Christmas Eve, we're really hoping to raise $10,000. And so we're going to continue to talk more about that. Uh, and I'm done now. So for those that are new and visiting, you're like, the money talks over. You can breathe. You can put your checkbook away because we really don't want anything from you. But this is for our Redemption Church family. Hey, I'm going to ask you to do two things for me this morning. Uh, the first one is, if you would take a moment to fill out that communication card, we'd absolutely love that. We don't sell your information. We don't give your information away. All we do with that is we use it to follow up with you. Uh, we want to be able to thank you for being here. So if you're new or visiting, we're going to send you a gift in the mail. Just our way of saying, hey, thanks for being here today. We'd also love to be able to communicate with you and follow up with you. So if you have prayer requests, uh, things that are going on in your life, that you, maybe you want to take a step in your walk with Jesus, maybe you recently got saved or you have questions, maybe you're ready to get baptized, the communication card is a great way to let us know that so we can follow up with you. Last but not least, I would love it if you would pull out your cellular device. I know this is church and you're probably told your whole life not to do this, but we're going to ask you to do this. If you have a cell phone or a tablet or some way to communicate with the World Wide Web, and if you use Facebook, we would love it if you would check in uh, at Redemption Church on Facebook. Uh, it does two things. It's evangelism. It lets your friends know uh, that you're here and they're invited to come here with you. Uh, the second thing it does is we partner every month with missions organizations uh, that you check in for change. So this month, uh, we're partnering with Compassion International. So for every six check-ins at Redemption Church over, over the whole month of October, uh, gives one child a whole day of care through Compassion International. So if you're like me, I, I just check in all the time. Like I'm talking to somebody from Redemption Church and I just check in. I'm like, oh, this is you know to where two or more are gathered. So I'm checking in. So we invite you to check in. If you don't know how to do that, find somebody in their teens. They can update your profile pic, streamline your Facebook, update the app before you'll, you'll even know it. So those are just a few of the announcements. Let me pray for us and we're gonna dive into the word of God this morning. Uh, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And God, I do thank you for, for who you are, God. I thank you for the way that you love us. I thank you for the way that you've revealed yourself to us so fully in Jesus. And God, I pray that as we gather this morning, uh, God, that it wouldn't be about anything other than you. Uh, God, as a, a preacher, someone who loves to declare your word, uh, I know that more than anything, what we need is one single word from you this morning. So God, I pray that I would be quiet. God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us. And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you this morning. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear you and hearts to love you. God, I pray that your word would penetrate the hardest and the darkest places of our hearts. And we would agree with you. We would say yes to you. God, we would repent of our sin, that we would surrender to you, God. And we would walk in joyful obedience to you. God, I thank you so much that you are a promise maker and a promise keeper, and all of your promises find their yes in Jesus, who is risen. It's in his name that we pray, the name above all names. Amen. 
Well, hey, one of the things we do at Redemption Church is we, we kind of take the first Sunday of every month and we partake in communion together. There's not really a right way or a wrong way, but we just say, hey, the first Sunday of the month is that time where we take communion together. And as I was thinking about our communion gathering uh, this morning, I really had this thought is, you know, what you are celebrating uh, is always accompanied by an appropriate meal. Have you ever thought about that, that the thing you're celebrating almost always determines the menu. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought maybe you could help me. Uh, I'm, so I'm going to need some feedback here. This is, it's okay to talk in church, so I'm asking you to talk. I'm giving you permission. So if you think about this, if you went to a birthday party, right, if you were invited to a birthday party, like what's the one thing that you would expect to be served at a birthday party? What is it? Cake. Cake. Yeah, I mean, if you went to a birthday party and there was no cake, you'd feel like totally ripped off. You might even take your gift and leave, right? And like, and I, I'm at this point in my life, I'm not even eating cake, but I'd still be mad if it wasn't there. Now, here's the thing. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a couple instances, and cake would work for all of them because cake is awesome. Like, you could just be like, hey, and what about this meal? Cake, what about this meal? Cake. But we're going to leave cake just for birthday. Now, think about this. If you were going to take your spouse out for a nice anniversary dinner. You're celebrating your, your anniversary. What, what kind of food might you expect there? Steak. Steak. Yeah, Tom Hoff, you're speaking my love language, right? Uh, would, would we all agree that uh, you're probably eating a nicer meal for your anniversary? Uh, unless it's something special, most people aren't hitting Taco Bell for their anniversary. If you are, I want to hear about it because I just think that'd be awesome, but I think most people aren't. What, what about this one? If you were invited to a 4th of July celebration what kind of food would you expect to be served there? Yeah, hamburger, hot dogs. We'll just go with barbecue, okay? No, you're not going to argue if ribs are served. You're not going to be like, oh, no brisket, just a hot dog. Like, but it's a barbecue party, right? It's a barbecue. What about this one, Thanksgiving, right around the corner? What do you expect to be at the Thanksgiving dinner? Turkey, pumpkin pie, mashed potatoes, stuffing. I have a problem with this. Stuffing is one of my favorite foods. My mother-in-law makes the greatest stuffing on the planet, and you can eat it one day a month of the whole year. I'm like, why isn't stuffing at every celebration? Like, I think, like, you should go to a birthday party and stuffing should, I'm just, I digress. Okay, so, so right after, yeah, amen. You know, so right after Thanksgiving comes Christmas. What would you expect at your Christmas celebration? What are some of the stuff that, if you think Christmas dinner, what's one of the things you think of? Ham? Portillo's beef. Can I get invited to your Christmas? Can I get, what else? So here, here was my thought, right? Here, eggnog, right? Eggnog. And, and what you put in your eggnog is up to you. I don't want to talk about it right now. I'm just talking eggnog. Now, here's the deal. That's a specific Christmas thing, right? If you went to a 4th of July party and someone was like, eggnog, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a barbecue season, bro, not eggnog season, Okay. Uh, last but not least, Super Bowl. If you're going to a Super Bowl party, what kind of stuff would you ex expect to be on the table? Yeah, chips and salsa, wings, uh, little smokies, you know, the little, the little cocktail wiener things. Now, here's the thing. That's a Super Bowl thing, right? Like, if you told your wife, hey, it's your birthday, and you invited her to a party where it was a Super Bowl menu, she probably, like, see, see what I'm trying to say is what you celebrate determines the meal. That what we celebrate and what we eat are always connected. And the reason I bring that up is because today we're celebrating communion together. And it's the same thing. What we eat is determined by what we celebrate. 
And, and maybe you're new to the church thing. Maybe you haven't been around the church thing for a long time. Some people call it communion. Uh, if you've been to a church that kind of had a really high church view, you might have called it the Eucharist, which is the same thing as communion, just a different name. Some people call it Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. They're, they're all the same thing. Now, before, before we talk about communion, we have to talk about what came before communion. Because communion came out of what was called Passover. And if you're like me, you've never actually celebrated Passover before, and that's, that's okay. But the reason we're talking about Passover is because the la- for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Promised Land. And we've been talking about the promises that God made to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 6. And so in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, uh, we've been talking about these promises week by week, that this is what God said through Moses to the nation of Israel. Israel is in slavery. Uh, th- their lives are horrible. Uh, they, they die, work to death. There's no hope. No one's saving up for college or retirement because they do not plan to live that long. And God speaks to Moses, his prophet, and says, listen, I want to make these promises to my people. He says, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. So his first promise is, I'm going to save you. I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to take you from slavery. And then he gives the next promise, freedom. And he says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. And he says, I I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to give your life purpose. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you a people because I'm your God and you're my people. You'll actually be a family. And so these were the promises, salvation, freedom, purpose, and family. And God says, because you have a relationship with me, I'm going to do this for you. You can't do this on your own, but because I'm your God and you're my people, I'm guaranteeing you these things. Now, here's where we begin to learn some things about God, is God is both a promise maker and a promise keeper. Because let's be honest, like to, to slaves in Egypt, the promise of salvation and freedom and purpose and family almost seemed too good to be true. Maybe you've been in this situation in your own life where you're believing in Jesus to do something, but the gap between where you are and what you're desiring is so big, you're like, it would take a miracle for this thing to happen. That's exactly what's happening in the nation of Israel. They go, this sounds great. Like, God's a promise maker, but here's everybody's question. Is he a promise keeper? So God is working through Moses, and he tells Moses, hey, you're my guy. You're going to be my mouthpiece. Everything I communicate to you, I want you to communicate to Pharaoh who's in charge, and I want you to communicate this to Israel. You're going to speak on my behalf. And I love this because God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh, hey, God wants his people back. The people you have here in slavery are not your people. They have a God. He's made promises to them. He's going to cash in on that promise. And so it's that big line. You've all heard it. Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. Because he goes, listen, if I don't have these people, how am I going to build my pyramids? How am I going to build, like, I can't afford to pay anybody to do the labor that they're doing. So he says, no. And here's a really important lesson for you and for me. When we fight God, we always lose. Because God plays a long game, and he's eternal, and you're not. So God can simply wait you out. And what he tells Pharaoh through Moses, he says, listen, 
That's fine. I will send plagues upon the nation of Egypt until you let my people go. Now, if you think about this for a second, at any moment, Pharaoh can say, you know what? I tap out. At any moment, he can go, you know what? We let the, we're going to let the Israelites go. I don't want to do this anymore. But he hunkers in and he fights against God. And so God sends nine plagues upon the nation of Egypt. All because he says, hey, as long as you're holding my people as slaves, I will oppose you. As long as you deny me, and as long as you deny my people, I will send these plagues to you as a reminder that these people don't belong to you, they belong to me. Now, I wrote these down because I knew I wouldn't remember them in the right order, but God does things like he turns all the water to blood, which I'm going to be honest, I'm out. Like if I'm fair, I'm like, good enough for me, get him out of here. But he doesn't relent. Uh, he, he sends frogs. He sends biting insects, which were probably huge mosquitoes. Like I was, I was doing some research on that this week. Like, uh, you know, people say like lice and stuff, but I'm thinking mosquitoes were in there because I think mosquitoes are from the devil. Uh, <laughs> flies, flies, all the livestock die, like unhealable boils. Once again, I'm out. Like the water's turned to blood. There's frogs, there's mosquitoes, and now I got boils. He sends hail and fire, locusts and darkness. He sends these nine plagues, and Pharaoh is still like, I will not let your people go. So God tells Moses, I'm going to send the tenth one. And God literally has this conversation with Moses. I'm going to send you the tenth one, and here's what's going to happen. The tenth one's going to be so bad, the people of Egypt are going to beg you to leave. And what God tells Moses is that the tenth plague is that every firstborn son in the nation of Israel uh, will live, but every firstborn son in the nation of Egypt will die. So just, just for a, a second, if you're the secondborn son in the house, this is the one time that paid off. Because you felt like the firstborn always is the favorite. But listen, paid off to be number two this time. You're like, see you later, buddy. I'm going to take your room. Thank, thank you, Art. I thought that was funny, too. And so God sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And they tell Pharaoh, listen, you have an opportunity. God wants his people. So here's your chance to let the people go. And he says, if you don't, he's going to send the plague. This is God's grace. This is God giving Pharaoh opportunity. This is God giving Egypt opportunity. He's going, listen, it's coming. This is the way... He says it to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 11, verses 6 and 7. He says, There shall be a cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will there ever be again. But not a dog shall growl against the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And God's like, listen, you don't want to do this. You have a chance. But Pharaoh goes, no, 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 these are my people. I'm never going to let them go. He digs in, he refuses, he continues to deny God. And the reason I tell you this whole story is because this is where Passover comes from. Is God then tells Moses, hey, I want you to go tell the nation of Israel that I'm a promise maker. I've told you I'm going to get you out of here. I told you that I'm going to save you. I told you that I'm going to free you. I told you that I'm going to give you purpose. I told you that I'm going to give you family. I'm a promise maker, but I'm also a promise keeper. 
And so what's about to happen next is for your good. What's about to happen next is for your freedom. It's for your salvation. It's for your purpose. It's for your future so that you can be a family. And God tells Moses to tell his people it's coming. And he gives them instructions that that night they're to eat a certain meal in a certain way. And they're supposed to do some things they've never done before because it's actually going to be for their good. Now, I want, I want, to just, I want you to get this because this is going to lead us to where we're going this morning. But here's the deal. This is such a big deal that God tells uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, that what's about to happen is so big that it is going to reorganize the Jewish calendar. He says, listen, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. God goes, listen, forget what month it currently is. I'm just going to talk in our terms. Tomorrow, it's January 1. Again, I know it's not, but tomorrow, January 1. Because what I'm going to do is so big, so monumental, so significant for you, it's actually going to determine your, your calendar year. It's going to determine how you look at life, how you live. So tomorrow is January 1st. And what he tells them is, he goes, tonight, I want you to make a sacrifice. I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice the lamb. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the blood of the lamb, and I want you to smear it over your doorposts. And he tells them, because the blood of the lamb will prevent the angel of death from visiting your house. So wherever death sees the blood of the lamb, it'll simply pass over your home. Now this becomes foreshadowing for thousands of years that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. That where the blood of the Lamb is, death skips over. And God tells them, hey, I want you to eat a meal. And he tells them, I want you to eat a meal. And the meal is supposed to be roasted over a fire. Uh, Your bread is supposed to be unleavened bread because you're not going to have time to wait for the yeast to rise. And you're going to eat some bitter herbs And he tells them to eat in this way. Watch this. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. So this breaks every rule your mother ever told you about eating. Okay? Shoes on, belt on, eat fast, no time for manners. And the Lord's Passover is coming. For I shall pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt I will execute with judgments, for I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, that when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God goes, listen, this is going to be so big for you. I want you to do certain things, and I want you to eat a certain meal. This is going to be so huge, so monumental. And then God tells him, listen, in fact, here's what I want you to do. You are going to celebrate this meal every year. Like, this is going to be so big in your history. This is going to be so big in your life that you're going to put this on the calendar, and you will celebrate the Passover meal every year to be reminded that you once were slaves, but God set you free. You once had no purpose, but God gave you purpose. You once uh, didn't know your identity, but now you have your identity. You once were not a family, but now you'll be a family, and you will be reminded of the goodness and the faithfulness of your God. And, like, could you imagine this for just a minute? Like, could, could you imagine, like, celebrating Passover just a couple years 
later, like a few generations, like where grandma and grandpa are telling you what it was like to leave Israel. Just going like, listen, when our nation left Egypt, like, oh man, like when we saw the cloud of smoke by day, when we saw the pillar of fire by night, when, when Pharaoh came up behind us and Moses, by God's power and instruction, like the Red Sea parted and then we went through and the army got swallowed up, like here's, here's what's meant to happen. Like it, it's meant to increase our faith. Like every time they took Passover, they, they would get together and go, listen, this is supposed to expand our faith that, listen, if God could do that, like if God can deliver us from Egypt, if God can defeat Pharaoh, if he can overthrow an entire government because he wants his people to be saved and have freedom and purpose and family, then I think I can probably trust God for today. Like I could probably trust God with the things going on at work. I could probably trust God with the things going on in my finances. I could probably trust God with the things going on in my family. I could probably trust God with the things going on in our world. If he could handle Pharaoh, what was going on with that world? And every time they took Passover, it was meant to expand their faith. It was also a time that they would examine their hearts. Because God didn't want to get his people out of Egypt, but he also wanted to get the Egypt and the idolatry and the disbelief out of his people. So every time they would take Passover, they'd be reminded, like, am I repenting of my sin? Am I growing closer? Is God my God and am I part of his people? It was a time of repentance and examination. But for the Jewish people, it was also a time to be filled with expectation. Because what they were waiting for was the arrival of the Messiah. What they were waiting for was the true Lamb of God who was going to come once and for all. And so every Passover they'd be reminded, hey, we were saved in Egypt by the blood of the Lamb, but we were waiting the coming Messiah, the promised one who will die in our place for our sins and set us free. So every time they gathered together, it was a time of expanding their faith, a time of, of expecting God to do big things, trusting him for today, examining their hearts, and then also waiting with expectation. And every time they gathered together, this was what was on the plate. This was the meal. It's kind of interesting. Every time they gathered together they, to take Passover, they'd actually have a plate that would, it's kind of like a cafeteria tray where it's been molded out and it has certain spots for certain foods, you know, so your applesauce doesn't touch your green beans, you know. So the Passover plate has this kind of thing where there's specific spots for specific things. And so uh, one of the things on the plate was a lamb shank bone, like just the bone. And it was supposed to represent the Passover sacrifice, that the lamb was slain for our sin and for our protection. One of the things on the plate was a roasted egg. I've never had a roasted egg. I've had hard-boiled eggs, but this is supposed to be cooked over a fire. It's a roasted egg, and it represents mourning. I didn't know this, but in that time, if you went to a funeral, and after the funeral there was a luncheon, the first thing you would be served is a roasted egg, because it actually represents mourning. I didn't know that. The other thing that would be on the plate was a paste of fruit, uh, usually apples, honey, nuts, wine, and they actually smush it and smash it and keep smushing it and keep smashing it until it becomes a paste. And it represents the mortar that they used in between the bricks to build all of Pharaoh's buildings. And so as they would eat that, they remember, hey, we're slaves. Remember we used to build for Pharaoh. Remember we used to get whipped. Do you remember the hours we used to work? They would also eat horseradish and bitter herbs 
to remind them of their slavery. Because slavery just tastes bad. Like Who would ever want more of that? And then on the plate, the last thing would be parsley, which represents springtime. It also represents hope, and it represents renewal. But the way you would eat the parsley is you'd actually dip the parsley in a bowl of salt water. And you would then eat the parsley drenched in the salt water, and the salt water represented the tears of the slaves of the Hebrews in the nation of Israel. And so everything on the plate was specific because, listen, what you celebrate determines the menu. And what was interesting about this is, is every time uh, they would take the meal, they would either have five glasses of wine on the table or they would have one glass that they would fill several times. But there was always one glass set of time. So some of you are worried this is grape juice. But uh, uh, you're, it's okay, it's grape juice. But what would happen is, is during the meal... They would, they would make a toast, and someone would read Exodus chapter 6. And so they would say, hey, God says he would take you out of Egypt. He promises you salvation, and they would take a drink. And they would say, hey, God promised to deliver us for freedom. And they would take a drink. And they said, God promises our redemption, what we're calling purpose, and he would take a drink. Saying God has promised that he would be our God and we would be his people. That's family. And they would take a drink. Now what's interesting is they also had a fifth cup on the table that nobody touched. And this fifth cup was called the cup of Elijah. And the cup was set aside for the arrival of the coming of the Messiah. They kind of set that aside and said this is the cup that will be drank when the Messiah arrives. Now you fast forward a little bit to Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has been with the disciples for about three years now. In fact, it's coming to the end of Jesus' life. He knows that he's going to go to the cross where he will die for our sins in our place, even though he's holy, perfect, spotless, blameless, that he will be the sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God for our salvation, for our freedom, for our purpose, so that we can be family. So Jesus is with the disciples, and Passover is coming. And what's interesting is this is such a tender moment. This is such a big moment. I would go as far to say this is such a monumental moment that this, this happens in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record it, although they record different aspects of it. And what happens is it's Passover season, And it says that uh, Mark records it this way. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12, he says, uh, In the first day of unleavened bread, excuse me, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples came to him and said, Where will you have us go and prepare for you a place to eat Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now let's take a time out real quick. Passover was something that you prepared for, kind of like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like, you, you just don't go like, hey, uh, sweetie, Christmas is tomorrow. Are we doing anything? Are we having anybody over? Like, do I need to go to the grocery store? Like, you've planned, you've prepared, like, you have a schedule, there's stuff going on. Passover's that way. So the disciples go to Jesus like, hey, are we doing this Passover thing tomorrow? Like, because it's coming. And Jesus goes, here's what I want you. I want you to go in the city, and you're just going to watch for a guy carrying water. Now, if you want to have a little fun. Uh, on your note section in your Bible, maybe highlight or underline carrying a jar of water. 
Because you should ask the question, why is that specific? He goes, I want you to go into the city and, and find a guy carrying a jar of water, and he'll meet you, and then follow him. And wherever he enters, you say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So Jesus is like, here, follow a guy carrying water. Follow him to his house. Whatever house he goes in, that guy's going to be a servant. It's not his house. He's going to the house of his master. I want you to go meet the master and say, hey, Jesus wants to know where he's celebrating Passover. And he says it's at your house. And he says, he'll tell you. He'll show you a large upper room furnished and ready and there prepared for us. He goes, listen, I've already taken care of it. Like, you don't know where, but I know where. Like, I've already prepared a place for us. So he sends the disciples to go find the guy and they call it the upper room. And they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. Anybody know why they call it the upper room? Because it's upstairs. Okay, so, um, you know, in case you were wondering, it's an upper room. So, all right, so John 13, now we're going to skip to John because John tells us, because here's the thing, you go, why did Jesus tell him to go look for a guy carrying water? That makes no sense. Well, here's why. John tells us before they eat the Passover meal, this is what happens. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Now, this is different. All these disciples are good Jewish boys. Like, they all know what it means to celebrate Passover. So now they're at a stranger's house that somehow Jesus prepared. There's a guy carrying a bunch of water, and they're about to have dinner, and then Jesus, like, changes the whole thing. And this, they're like, this is different. This is new. Verse 4, he rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments... And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured the water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. They're like, this is new. Number one, this is not the Passover meal. This is no part of the Passover meal. Hey, number two, remember when Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist is like, I'm not even, I can't even touch the sandals of this guy. Talking about Jesus. And here Jesus is washing their feet. And I love Peter. Because Jesus comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, I love Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now remember what I told you, whenever you fight Jesus, you lose. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, that not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. He's like, fine, I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. And Jesus basically says to him, your feet are good enough. Because the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet because he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was about to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. 
So Jesus goes to celebrate the Passover meal, and the reason he tells the guy, the guys, the disciples, hey, follow the guy carrying the water is because Jesus always intended to wash their feet. And so we can assume that the guy carrying the water was carrying the very water that Jesus would then use that night to wash the disciples' feet. And then we switch over to Luke chapter 22, because Luke, Luke tells us another picture. He says, listen, we got to the house, and Jesus washed our feet, and it's about time for the meal. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 says, When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he says, Take this and divide it among yourselves. So Jesus took a cup and said, Hey, pour a little bit of this and all of your cups. And then he took the bread, and he blessed the bread. He gave thanks over the bread. And then he took it, and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, maybe because we get so familiar with this, maybe because we've been around church so long, like, we miss the significance. What Jesus just did was took a Passover meal with thousands of years of historical and spiritual significance. And he says, hey, guys, I am the one. Like, the reason we don't have the lamb shank bone is because I'm the lamb. Like, like the reason we're not doing the whole bitter herbs thing in that is because, listen, I'm going to die for you. Like, here's what I want you to know. It's my body given for you. And it's my blood that's shed for you. And see, what we celebrate determines the menu. Jesus goes, we just need two things, the bread and the cup. He says, God is a promise keeper. He's promised you all these things. And I'm here to fulfill the promise. So then this huge historical moment, what Jesus says to them is the same thing that he says to you and to me, that he is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who dies and takes away the sins of the world. He goes, I want you to celebrate this. I want you to remember this. That because you're my disciples, because you believe in me, every time you get together and you eat the bread, which represents my body given for you, when you drink the cup, which represents my blood shed for you, the covenant of my blood, he goes, you identify yourself as a Christ follower. You identify yourself as a believer. And it's more than that. You celebrate the fact that you have the promise of salvation because Jesus saves you from your sin. That you have the promise of freedom because Jesus has saved you for freedom's sake. That you have the promise of purpose because Jesus says that you were created in him to be God's masterpiece, to do good works. He says you have the promise 
a family that no matter how hard your family life has been, maybe you come from a broken family, maybe you've been betrayed for your family, you have a spiritual family, the church that's yours in Christ Jesus, that he doesn't just save you from sin, he saves you into freedom, he saves you into purpose, and he saves you into family, and it's all because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And if this wasn't enough, and John tells us that during this meal that Jesus has just turned upside down. Like, listen, the Pharisees would have lost their mind if they were invited. The religious folk, you can't do that. He's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants to do. John tells us that after he does this, he actually gives them a new commandment. John 13, 33, this is part of the meal. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another another. Jesus goes, hey, I want to take this meal and I want you to know that when you eat the bread and you drink of the cup, it's because you you believe in my life, my death, and my resurrection. He says, by the way, when you, every time you drink of the cup and every time you eat of the bread, listen, I want it to expand your faith. Like maybe you're having a hard time right now, but you be reminded that God is the God that freed his people from Egypt. That God is the God that that parted the Red Sea. That God is the God that broke the walls of Jericho. That God is the God that slayed the giant Goliath. That God is the God who always sees his people through. And maybe you don't feel like you can see his work now, but if you can trust what he's done before, you can trust what he's doing today. That whenever we eat communion, it expands our faith. It's also a time for us to examine our own hearts. Am I being obedient? Am I following Jesus? Hey, have I allowed sin to creep in? Have I put value on things that don't need value? Have I worshipped things that I shouldn't be worshipping? Is my love for God, is my love for people growing cold and the meal's an opportunity to repent of our sin and say, Jesus, take all of me. I repent of my sin. I want more of you. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm sorry. Give me more of you. Make me more like you. And it should also fill us with expectation. I love that Jesus tells the disciples, he says, listen, this is the last time I'm going to do this until we're all together in heaven again. In Revelation, it talks about we have the, the supper of the Lamb. It's communion that when all God's people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation are together in heaven with Jesus, we'll take communion together again. It'll be the first time that Jesus has taken communion since the last time he took it with his disciples. And it should fill us with expectation that none of us are promised a tomorrow. We're only promised right now. Like none of us know when Jesus will return. He's going to come like a thief in the night. So the question is, are we living for his glory? Are we living with passion? Are we living to worship him? Are we doing the things he's commanded us to do? Are we walking in joyful obedience to him? It's a time to examine our hearts. And also be filled with the expectation that we will see him again 
face to face. Whether he comes today or we die today, we will be united with Jesus. So as we come to the table, we celebrate salvation that's found in Christ alone. We celebrate that salvation is something Jesus does for us on the cross, but freedom is something that he does with us. We only find freedom when we participate with Jesus. We celebrate that we have purpose, that the only person that gets to ascribe value to you or a name or a label to you is your heavenly father. You are not what you've done. You are his son or his daughter. And only he gets to name you. You have purpose. And you also have family. That faith is a journey and life is a journey and no one should do the journey alone. So when we come to the table, I invite you to expand your faith. Trust him. Examine your heart. And live with expectation. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.